This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55 a.m., Melbourne, Australia. Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true. That if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change. Hello, it's Erin uh, Jones here and you're listening to 3CR 855 AM and this is the Beyond Zero Emissions Show. Today we're going to be talking with Michael Lord, who's the Head of Research at Beyond Zero Emissions, about the latest um, piece of research that they're working on, which is the industrial processes. Good afternoon, listeners. Today we're very pleased to bring you um, Michael Lord, who is the Head of Research at Beyond Zero Emissions, and we're going to be chatting to Michael specifically today about the work that he's got going on around the industrial processes um, research. But just before we get into that, I just want to remind listeners that uh, on the BZD website, which is bzd.org.au, you can access all the various reports that have previously been done. Um, there, are, you know, for free download, you can get an electronic copy. So there's been a number of research starting out with the, the stationary energy plan, which was kind of the backbone looking at uh, how Australia's energy production for, for what we call baseload or, or mains power. And since then we've done um, contributing work to the Repower Port Augusta, um, buildings project. So this piece of research that we're talking about today is really just the latest piece of work, but it's the primary focus at the moment for Michael and his team. So welcome, Michael. We're glad to have you with us today and looking forward to hearing all about this new piece of work. Thanks, Aaron. So can you just give us a little bit of background initially as to... You know, it's obvious around um, you know energy and transport, but a lot of people probably don't think about industry. So just kind of paint a bit of a picture around what industry means in terms of um, the impact it has on emissions. Yeah, thanks. So the working title of the report is the Zero Carbon Industry Plan. And right at the outset, it was always beyond zero emissions goal to cover every sector of the economy that contributes significantly to national emissions. Um, so industry was one of six sectors, and as you said in your introduction, we've tackled the other sectors um, at least in part, so things like transport and buildings and energy, and industry is one sector that we, we haven't really looked at at all. But it's a really important sector because it actually contributes about to about a quarter of Australia's emissions. So fairly significant then? Yeah, very significant, and one that doesn't get discussed a lot, Mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't get discussed a lot as a problem, and therefore the solutions which we're keen on on, uh, researching don't get discussed either. Um, So what we mean when we say uh, industry is the production, is manufacturing, and particularly the production of materials, so heavy industry, the production of all those materials that we rely on every day, so things like metal and paper and plastic, chemicals, cement, all these things that we don't most of the time think about how they're made, but they're absolutely vital to our everyday life. Yeah, Yeah, we don't really kind of think about that every time we... Pick up a paper clip or a piece of paper or, um, you know, looking at a construction project necessarily. We're not, uh, it's not probably the f- most forefront thing of our mind, so it's, it's That's right. to do though. That's right. So where are you starting then? Um, what's kind of the, the 
first uh, cab off the rank, you would say, because you've, you've talked about a few things there in yeah. terms of manufacturing. So what is, what is the thing that you're most kind of looking at initially? Yeah, well, it's, uh, industry's a very big topic, so we really have to home in on those areas uh, where we can make the biggest contribution. Um, so the sectors of industry that are very high emitting and where people are not really uh, exploring solutions at the moment. So how we're dividing the research will probably produce four separate um, sub-reports mm-hmm. um, before producing the whole thing as a compendium. And those four areas that we'll focus on are uh, cement, the production of cement, which is the vital ingredient in concrete, uh, the production of iron and steel, um, how to get renewable heat. Most industrial processes require uh, heat, and at the moment that's achieved by burning fossil fuels. And the fourth one is just using less of everything. If we can find ways to use less, to either reuse things or recycle more or avoid using things in the first place, we'll obviously have saved the emissions that would have gone into producing those materials. So those are the four areas. Okay. And uh, any sort of groundbreaking things coming out of that initial research that you can share with us at this point in time, or where are you up to in terms of the process? Well, at the moment, we've done at least some research into all of those four areas, Mm -hmm. Uh, but by far the most progress has been made in cement Mm -hmm. because our first sub-report will be on cement, and we aim to um, publish that by early July this year. Um, So... Yeah, we've we've found out a lot of things in cement. It's an interesting area because it's it's one of those sectors where a lot of people, including the cement industry, say we can't do anything about the emissions. Mm. So, just to go back a step and say, uh, explain where the emissions uh, in industry come from. Mm. There's really f- three different ways that industry produces greenhouse gas emissions. One is it in its use of electricity. Mm-hmm. And obviously we, we more and more th- uh, know that we have the answers um, to producing electricity renewably through solar and wind and, sto- and storage. So eventually um, it's, it's looking like the, the question of uh, industrial use of electricity is going to be answered. Those emissions will be sorted. But half of the emissions are not related to electricity. They're, they're related to either the use of heat or uh, the process emissions from in, uh, from industry. And by process emissions, I mean things like the chemical reactions or uh, emissions that happen during the process of making something. Right. So for those of us that may not be very technical, yeah. when you say the... Can, can you give us an example of yes. that process? Yeah, so, so, so cement. Cement is one example of that. Um, <clears throat> cement, the overwhelming um, majority of cement, 99% in the world, is called Portland cement. Mm-hmm. And the way you make Portland cement is you take limestone, uh, a naturally occurring rock, Uh, which chemically is calcium carbonate, which means it contains carbon dioxide. And the first thing you do to that limestone is, well, first first you uh, grind it and then you heat it to a temperature to a point at which it releases that carbon dioxide to produce lime, which is is the key ingredient in cement. Mm -hmm. So the reason why cement is such a tricky Mm -hmm. sector is that that process is integral to making cement mm. uh, and m- and that's a direct lit off of those, those yeah you know, the, the yeah exactly so so the the limestone goes into a kiln with a few other materials and the it, it's heated and, and the carbon dioxide is released 
and there's, there's, there's no way of getting around that release of carbon dioxide. Have they, has it been looked at, I mean, um, you know, I know there's a whole argument around this, but the carbon capture and storage, is that something that cement has looked at? Is that, you know, is that a viable option? People have looked at it at a theoretical level mm. and said, well, if we can't avoid these carbon dioxide emissions, maybe we can capture it and store it. There are a number of technical and economic challenges uh, to that. And as far as I'm aware, no cement company is actually seriously thinking of implementing carbon capture and storage. Um, we've seen carbon capture and storage get discussed a lot in the area of um, coal-fired power stations, mm. uh, but it's... Oh, By the time you put the cost in, it yes, it's hardly ever been implemented. It's very expensive, and mm. to me, is a um, if it was our only solution, we would be looking at carbon capture and storage. But we think we've got better solutions than taking the existing process and just capturing uh, the carbon dioxide. Okay, well, so we've talked about the process of making it, and that and the other one yep. you mentioned was heat. Yes. So let's delve into that a little bit more. Heat in general, or heat related to well, cement? Well, around cement, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that process I, I was talking about of heating the limestone. The limestone is heated with clay uh, and um, a few f- small amounts of other materials, and the temperature the cement kiln needs to reach is about fourteen hundred and fifty degrees. Mm-hmm. And the way that that temperature is reached is by burning coal or coke or uh, or natural gas, some kind of fossil fuel. Yeah. And that's by far the easiest way of getting a large quantity of material up to such a high temperature. But, of course, that too produces carbon dioxide emissions. Mm-hmm. So about um, between 50 and 60% of the emissions from making cement come from um, the process of turning limestone into lime and about another 35% comes from the use of fossil fuels to reach those temperatures. Uh, So that's where most of the emissions come from. And we make... The other thing about cement is that we make so much of it. Mm. Oh, it's... It's I mean, it's, it's everywhere, isn't it? When you're yes. in a cityscape, it's predominant. Yes, that's right. So c- concrete is, is is everywhere, and cement is the is the binder in in concrete. We make four billion tons uh, of cement a year uh, as a planet. A lot of that is in developing countries like China. So cement use has been going up rapidly, and because it's high emitting, and because we make so much of it, it actually contributes just the manufacture of cement to eight percent of world emissions. Mm, really significant. It's really it's really significant when you think it's just one material, mm. um, and that percentage is going is set to go up. Um, so there are different projections, but it's it's going to double or triple by 2050 uh-huh. as a proportion as we get on top of emissions from electricity and we introduce more renewables and also as other countries um, start to develop and urbanise the way China has been doing. India, for example, at the moment produces, produces far less cement than China, but in the future mm. we can project that it's going to catch up with China. Uh, so it's really crucial that we don't, except um, the claim that we can't do anything about the cement industry. We, we have to do something about mm. it and, and reduce its emissions significantly. Yeah, that's a big piece of work. Um, so, so, so how are you going about carrying out this research? Yeah, the, it's, it's, um, 
It's really interesting the way Beyond Zero Emissions does research. We're a think tank, we're a climate think tank, and I'm not aware of any other think tanks in Australia or elsewhere that do research the way we do, which is to work with volunteers. Um, so while I'm head of research and I coordinate the research uh, and, I, and I do some of it myself, we also rely hev- heavily on uh, members of the community who just want to help. Mm. Um, now, for research that uh, the industry research, which is quite technical, people need a certain background. They need the right background, yeah. the right background but they don't need, for example, to be experts on cement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it helps if they've had a scientific or an engineering training. Mm. So a lot of our volunteers have, uh, uh, have been engineers. Yeah. Some of them are current students, undergraduates, uh, master's students, PhD students, and they come to us. Uh, Monash University has been particularly good in um, in providing us with interns for this project, and we've actually uh, with volunteers, and we've also had eight interns mm-hmm. from Monash University who have been really helpful. Mm, great. Um, we have it's good for them to be working on it's real yes. life, uh, you know, really groundbreaking research that's got a huge importance if that's right you know around um what's going on in, in climate that's 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 right um it is it's good for them to be able to apply their knowledge at this mm-hmm. uh, stage of their career and see how it can be applied to to make the world uh, a better place mm. um and another another great thing about working with them is that they begin they begin to see that despite what they may have heard, let's say, about cement and other areas that we can't tackle these problems, mm-hmm. they're just too difficult, they begin to get another perspective that yeah. they might not have got from their university courses. And then what we hope is then they go out into the wide world, back mm-hmm. into their universities, into the jobs they'll soon have uh, with this perspective that we can tackle emissions, we can get to zero emissions uh, with, with technology. And I think BZD has a real history, hasn't it, of working with on all the reports, yeah. whether it be with, with individual volunteers who have the particular expertise in whatever field that is or and or with you know, academic institutions yeah, that have been a real key right. partner. We've we've always worked like that, yeah, exactly right. Um, and it's not and it's not just students, some people are mid career, mm-hmm. uh, so they they're actually got full time jobs. But they're really keen to help us, so they help us in their spare time. We've got uh, one person looking at the um, the cement, helping us with the cement report. He's looking at the aspect of how we can use less cement by better design, or perhaps using mm-hmm. alternative materials. And he's he works for WSP, who are a large environmental consultancy, mm-hmm. and his employer has. Um, given him the time, the time. he's contribute. given they've given him i think uh, 30 days initially to work yeah, with us on that aspect of the report and you know he, he's doing it because he believes in what we're doing and wsp want him to do it because they see that what we're looking at is the future mm. and that emissions need to be tackled so they want their young employees to be uh, at the forefront uh, of, of this knowledge and and we also have retired engineers people mm. with a bit more time um, are, are many of them long-standing uh, BZE volunteers who have worked on those reports that you mentioned and are keen to continue helping. So in terms of this current piece of work that you're focusing on now with cement, mm. is it... Um, do you need more help at this stage or are you kind of covered for this stage of the, of the research or when would it be 
or how would people contact you if they were saying, hey, I'm really interested in what you're talking about. I think I've got something applicable in the skill set yep. around maybe, maybe if it's not cement, maybe the next kind of piece that's going to fall under this umbrella of yeah. industrial processes. Yeah. With cement, because we're at quite an advanced stage of the research and um, we have volunteers that have, uh, that have come with us on the, mm-hmm. on the journey, uh, we probably have enough volunteers at the moment, um, and I, I'm actually at the stage of writing the research, uh, mm-hmm. writing it up. I mean, there's still a few more questions to be ironed out, but it's going to be published in two months, so it's at quite a late stage. But definitely, for the next stage of research, which will start in July, August, and that will be on these questions of renewable heat and probably also steel as well, um, uh, which is a, which is a wider area. So we'll need lots of help. Um, yeah, I do encourage people, particularly with an engineering uh, training or background, to get in touch. And the, and the way to do that is to email your interest to info at bzd.org.au. Okay, excellent. Well, hopefully you'll have plenty of emails awaiting yes. from people eager to um, be at the cutting edge of, of this research. I hope so. I do just want to say one more thing about the way we do the research. We obviously contact uh, ex- experts, so uh, academics and people, um, researchers for companies. And in an area like cement, you have to look some of the areas are quite specialised, so you have to look all over the world mm-hmm. for, for your uh, expert input. And I'm always just uh, really gratified in the, in, with the response we get when we say who we are. Some people have already heard of us, some haven't. But when we explain who we are, that we're beyond zero emissions and we want to ex- show how technology can get us to zero emissions and beyond, nearly everybody is really keen to help. And mm-hmm. these, are, these are busy people, professors, you know, attending conferences, writing papers. Um, they're always happy to sky- arrange a time to Skype me. Obviously, the time's is often a, yeah, uh, a, a challenge if you're talking to Europe or America uh, and even to you know review uh, drafts of the report so th- that that's the other way we work we sort of yeah ask, ask for help from experts and yeah really pleased with the way how generous people are with their time and knowledge yeah well obviously you know I think that's an indication of how timely the work is yes that people see that this is important and that they want to contribute to it. Yeah, that. that's right. Um, so I think that's a, a real indication of the value of the work that you're doing. Um, so what, you know, you, you, we've talked about some of these things and you, you touched there on some of the, you know, the, the administrative challenges and logistics around making connections with those right people or they may be anywhere in the world. What other main issues and challenges have you found? around putting this work out. I know that BZE is, uh, runs on the smell of an oily rag, so how do you go about funding this, and, and is there a way that people who maybe don't have the technical expertise can actually say, you know, step up and say, well, I think this is important work and I want to support the organisation to keep doing this work? What's the best way someone could go about doing that? Yeah, um, you're, you're right. BZE does run on the smell of an oily rag, and that is always a challenge because... Um, I'm the only paid researcher at Beyond Zero Emissions, so um, my responsibility is to do a lot of the research but also coordinate it. So while it's great that volunteers uh, help, it also takes quite a bit. 
that work needs to be coordinated and pulled together. So it's a challenge when there's a, there's only one of you with the research uh, function, and, w- and we would love to have. Uh, I would love to have uh, uh, at least one research assistant uh, who could spend, you know, maybe three days a week in the office helping me uh, with that coordination. The way the uh, um, research has been funded so far is, as you know, Beyond Zero Emission relies on lots of individuals who give donations every month. Uh, so some of that goes to the and research. And we call those, for people out there, our baseload supporters. That's right. Who will make a, um, I think it's around $25 a month that people can make an ongoing contribution to, to all the work that, that BZD is doing. That's right. And so we're very grateful for that mm. baseload um, that baseload funding. We've also uh, approached um, various philanthropists and mm. philanthropic funds and there are different ways of doing that. Sometimes it's quite a formal process of filling in an application form and agreeing to a you know reporting schedule uh, afterwards. And others, it's more informal. You meet for a coffee and explain what you're doing. And so we've had some very generous donations from philanthropists. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the two main ways. We we haven't had any money from industry or government. Yeah, for this I was just research. going to ask you about that because obviously you mentioned you've had. An employer who's seen the value of this and has yes. done so by by an in kind kind of support That's right, yes. of allowing st- you know staff to um, participate, yeah. but not so much industry in terms of um, you know fronting up with cash. Yes. Yeah, so I, su- I suppose that's a good correction, that uh, it, it, it is a donation to us that an employer has allowed their employee to uh, mm-hmm. 30 days to work with us, so that is an in-kind donation. But in terms of cash, no, we haven't. Um, and we'd, we'd obviously have to be careful mm-hmm. uh, if an in- industry was to fund us yeah. about, how, about how that looks. Um, we have to be careful about our independence and if mm-hmm. it's an industry, because we will be promoting certain products through the research yeah. and if an industry that sells that product has funded us um, then yeah. w- w- we have to take those decisions carefully but uh, at, at the moment that hasn't happened so we're <laughs> <laughs> They haven't been banging on your door to, to throw piles of cash at you at this point in time. No, so. that's right. Well the thing is the nature of our research is that the we are proposing uh, technologies which are at the moment marginal they're not mm. you know if the, if they were the dominant technology we wouldn't have to write it up in our research mm. so the companies that uh, are researching or producing the products we're looking at are, are not the big companies they're not the dominant players no so without preempting and getting ahead of ourselves because obviously the report hasn't been published can you share any of those you know what what you're foreseeing you're you're in the process of writing it up at the moment but can you give us any little tidbits about what you think can can be you know maybe some game changes around this process of cement in particular yeah sure well perhaps i'll get on to cement in a minute because mm-hmm. i can talk about that in more detail and we're we're close to having conclusions for the cement section um for the other sectors of sections of the mm-hmm. report um we uh, we sort of have working hypotheses that we're go- that we need to explore more. So steel is an interesting one. It's a bit like cement in that it's a very high energy um, uh, process for making iron ore into iron, mm-hmm. which then the second stage is to make the, the iron into steel. It's very high energy, um, but also has significant process emissions. 
Um, so when you make iron, you start off with iron ore, which is iron oxide, and at the moment it's reacted with the carbon in 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 coal or in coke, and that produces carbon dioxide, which is the emission, and mm. you're le- you're left with iron. Um, so there are various possible ways of avoiding that you often hear actually you can't make steel without coal mm, um, yeah yeah i've heard that thrown around yeah, many times yeah. oh well, we can change you know energy use and we can make renewable power but we're still going to need it for that that's right yeah. that's right so you can't make steel without coal or you can't make a wind turbine which mm. is a lot, lot of it's made from steel without coal so we want to challenge that and there are various ways that you might think about doing that so theoretically for example you could produce steel using electrolysis mm-hmm. which is how some other metals like aluminium is produced. So just take a step back from that because a lot of people maybe aren't, you know, from an engineering, you, know, you say that yeah. to me and I think, okay, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. What does electrolysis mean? Well, it, it's, it's in probably... That, in that tech context. It's probably not the way we're going to look at okay. uh, making steel, but <laughs> electrolysis is, is basically where you run electricity through a substance mm-hmm. and, and it... Um, the, the the chemicals um, you re- you run electricity between two nodes a cathode and an anode and the chemicals separate and attach themselves to the cathode and the anode. Okay. Um, so, but yes, that's electrolysis. So, right. but that's not actually the uh, front runner in mm-hmm. the production of steel. Um, one way we think uh, will be viable a viable method of producing steel in the future is to produce it with hydrogen. Okay. So at the moment, the the coke, um, the, the the coke made from coal in uh, in the blast furnace where iron is made has a dual role. Um, it's there to provide the energy when it's burnt, but also to take the oxygen away from the iron oxide. Okay. Um, so you need something that will play that dual role, and we think that hydrogen uh, is the way to do it. Uh, and then the the byproduct you get from um, using hydrogen in that way, instead of being carbon dioxide, which is with coke, it's water. Okay. So you've just got water, which mm. yeah, which is good. We can deal good with start. water. We can deal with water. <laughs> yes. Um, and so then the question is, how do you get hydrogen? Uh, so this is where electrolysis does come in. Mm-hmm. You uh, get hydrogen by electrolyzing water which is an energy-intensive process, or it's one way of getting hydrogen. It's an energy-intensive process, but in a, um, a system where we have a lot of renewable energy, we'll have periods where we have an excess generation right. of renewable energy. And some of that excess we will put into storage. Mm. So you've spoken on your program before about pumped hydro and batteries. Yep. Um, so some of that uh, will be stored, but some of it could be used to make hydrogen for a steel industry. Mm. Um, so, so that could be quite strategic in times of those excess supply, exactly. Um, you know, streamed into some sort of facility. That's for right. That process. That's right. And and if we make iron in this way in Australia, Australia is really the perfect place to do it because number one, we've got some of the biggest iron ore resources in the world, mm. and at the moment we just dig up the iron ore and sell that. Um, and secondly, as we've shown in our reports, we've got the best renewable resources in the world. Yeah, we've so got we've a little got, bit of sunlight, haven't we? We've got a little <laughs> bit of sun and also, you know, not a little... A fair bit of land. A fair bit of land, lots of wind. Um, so we've got the energy and the raw material. Mm. So 
and could possibly create a whole industry with some employment and that's right and, yeah. and some other good flow on effects yeah and instead of just digging up iron mm-hmm. oxide and putting it on a boat. boat to china why not turn it into steel here mm. well i think that would make a lot of people happy to hear that that we and you know we should be doing that and um with so many manufacturing jobs going offshore like you said there's there's some some really good arguments we've got the raw material we've got the the natural features around the the land availability and the um certainly the sunlight to produce renewable energy so why aren't we doing it here and that was a really interesting thing on a little bit of a tangent but that came out of the community energy congress a couple of weeks ago that was held here in melbourne around communities starting to realize or or, or political leaders realizing how much employment and economic development can be happening by having energy projects at a local level and i mean this is a slightly different thing but but same kind of thing about keeping that that industry and that manufacturing process in this example we're talking about steel but keeping that um you know at at an australian level so that those jobs can stay here and we're going to have to you know deal with you know workers that are are um, going through you know redundancy and different things like that as the aging um, electricity um, fleet you know talking about Hazelwood as an example here in Victoria but you know a bit of creative thinking could get those people back into other yeah. other roles yeah so. it's a really good point Erin and you know I should say that one of the objectives of this report mm-hmm. obviously the, the main objective is to reduce emissions in industry to zero but another very important objective of the report is to show how the low-carbon industries of the future can be in Australia and that the, there are economic advantages to, mm. that flow from that, both in terms of Australia producing materials, a, a, a reinvigoration of domestic industry, but also once we're at the forefront of something like producing um, steel with hydrogen, selling that technology to the world, mm. going overseas and, and telling, uh, teaching other people how to do it. And, you know, if Australia doesn't do it and isn't first in some of these areas, mm. other countries will be. Yep. So since we've started this report, I know of at least two other countries, Austria and Sweden, mm-hmm. where they've started looking into producing steel with hydrogen. Um, there are... Uh, projects backed uh, by government and companies um, that are looking to set up pilot plants to do this. Yeah, right. So if Australia doesn't start soon um, with some of these technologies of the future, we'll, we'll be behind. Well, I hope you're enjoying our discussion about industrial processes, which is going to be the next piece of research that is published by Beyond Zero Emissions. So we'll go into the final part of the interview now with Michael Lord, who's the Head of Research at Beyond Zero Emissions. And so so flowing on from that then, how, I mean, certainly in the past, most of the BZD reports, you know, we have a launch and it's a big public event and that might be multiple events around the country. Yeah. And, um, you know, we quite often have politicians come and be part of, of those official launches. Yeah. How, what's your feeling or have you had some initial discussions around, you know, the um, the appetite for this work from a political scale and, and some of these benefits that we've talked about, about keeping jobs in the country and keeping the technology in the country because I think unfortunately Australia's got a bit of a track record of of doing some great research um, and the um, commercialisation of that 
going offshore? Yes, we have, and probably when we come to talk about cement, we'll talk about the fact that there are some great Australian companies already starting to commercialise some of the answers to zero-carbon cement. Um, but I, I think those conversations that you're talking about that um, we'll be having with uh, in industry and government and unions and others, um, they're, they're things we'll do w once we've at least produced the cement report. Sure. But it is, it's, it's vital. It's, it's a real risk for uh, a think tank like ours that's, that's very small to put lots of effort into the research and produce fantastic, robust, rigorous research and, and, and not put enough effort into getting it out there and communicating it. And, you know, no research is useful if nobody knows about it. Yeah. So <clears throat> we're developing our uh, communications plan and we'll be promoting the research in a number of ways. Uh, we'll be our, our volunteers again. We'll be an integral part of that. So we'll be training our volunteers to go out and speak to companies, to community groups, to government um, on, on our conclusions from the industry plan. We'll be doing as much media as possible, both interviews and uh, articles in newspapers. Um, we'll look to go into companies and governments and do presentations to people and have one-on-one -on -one meetings with ministers, for example. Um, so w w there'll be lots of different ways of getting the message out there. I'm going to be talking at Manufacturing Week um, mm -hmm. in Melbourne next month. Mm -hmm. So Manufacturing Week is a really big conference uh, at Melbourne Exhibition Centre that brings together you know, manufacturing companies from all around Australia. So uh, I'll be on a panel there talking about our headline findings. Um, and uh, similarly at uh, the EcoCity World Summit, which is a huge sustainability yeah, uh, it's global a big program. That's I'm right, with um, uh, Al Gore as the mm. keynote speaker. Uh, that's in early July, so I'll be, I'll be talking about And you've had a piece of research um, accepted for that, or am I thinking of something? No, else? that's right, that's yeah. For, for, for both of those conferences, mm -hmm. um, we've had, uh, they've accepted our submission for presentations. Great. So there'll be one presentation at Manufacturing Week and two at EcoCity World Summit on the industry plan. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. And there's a lot of work ahead, obviously, to get that work out. Um, so we've talked about a couple of actions, and, and we've given an email address if people want to get in touch for, uh, and that was info at bze.org.au, and people can um, follow up if, if they feel that, you know, they have um, a particularly well placed to assist in the research going forward. Um, or if you also go on the BZE website in the top right hand corner, there's a big donate button and that can show different ways that you can um, contribute to BZE's work across the spectrum of, of things that they've done. Um, much like um, this work now that's getting broken down into different components. In the past, we've done transport, which we've broken down into EVs and high speed rail so you know there's a there's actually a plethora of um areas where emissions happen that bze have researched and put together solutions and solutions that you know certainly aren't pie in the sky they're things that can happen today and moving forward we just need to kind of keep pushing that message out there and um yeah keep fighting the good fight Perhaps I, d I did start to talk about the, the solutions in steel that we'll yes. be looking into, so but um, I, I could say a bit more about what we're looking at in the other sectors, heat and cement. Yep. Um, so he heat is a, is a really difficult one. So heat in 
if you see, uh, look at our buildings plan, there's also a question of how you get heat for buildings, and we have solutions uh, like um, like uh, heat pumps, reverse cycle air conditioners, or hot water heat pumps that are driven by electricity. So there are solutions there, but it's a lot easier because we're talking about uh, fairly low temperature heat, 60 degrees and below. When it, when it comes to industry, they need heat from everything from 60 degrees right up to 2,000 degrees. Yeah, much um, bigger scale than what we need to heat our little bodies and homes, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's right. So I've mentioned cement and steel, uh, both very high heat processes. Um, glass manufacture requires mm. 1,500 degrees, and th- there's a whole array of different temperatures. And the hotter you go, the harder it is to achieve that heat without mm. just... It's very easy to achieve it by just mm. burning some, uh, yeah. some coal or some, uh, some gas. It's the easiest way to do it. So it's, it's a big challenge and uh, no doubt we're going to need a range of technologies um, when it comes to renewable heat or zero carbon heat. So we'll be looking at, um, we'll be looking at heat pumps uh, that are able to produce higher temperatures, maybe okay. up to about 100 degrees because mm-hmm. um, a, a, a lot of heat, let's say in the food processing industry, is maybe up to about 100 or a bit more. And so heat pumps can at least take you some of the way there. Uh, and they're driven by electricity, renewable electricity in our world. Um, we'll also look at other ways of electrifying heat, so how you could have an electric kiln. You know, more people now have electric induction ovens, which are mm. you know, su- super efficient. How you could do that on a, a, an industrial scale. We'll so is that effectively using the same technology as, as the way someone would think about a you know their domestic oven, but just but kind of on a bigger scale? Isn't the it, same kind of bones? Of there's the different ways you can <laughs> electrify heat, but the in, induction heat is one way. There's microwaves, there's infrared heat. Uh, there's different ways of doing it, and different uh, methods will be applicable to different industries. Um, We'll also look at our old uh, BZE's old friend, concentrated solar thermal. Mm-hmm. So instead of using um, concentrated solar thermal, is where you have uh, uh, reflect sunlight using mirrors onto um, a receiver that gets very, very hot. And we relied on it uh, a lot for our first stationary energy plan. But you don't have to use it to create electricity. You can just use it to, to just create purely heat. the heat. Yes, mm. and there are examples of that already in Australia. There's a tomato farm in South Australia that uses concentrated solar thermal to heat and cool uh, its tomato greenhouses. So we'll be looking at that. We'll be looking at uh, various types of um, zero emission gas, so biogas, uh, hydrogen, bioenergy, um, and possibly a little at geothermal as well. But okay. it, it, it'll, it'll, be, um, it'll be a suite of mm-hmm. uh, solutions to this pretty difficult problem of renewable heat. Um, in the area of cement, which I said is our research that is the furthest progressed, um, cement, I've described a little how cement's made at the moment using lime uh, that creates Portland cement. Portland cement is actually now mixed with about 20 to 30% of other materials. Um, So there's different kind of materials you can mix with it and still get the same performance when you use it to make concrete. Uh, Two of those common materials are fly ash, which is a byproduct of burning coal in coal-fired power stations, uh, and the other is um, 
it's called gra- granulated blast furnace slag, which is a byproduct of the steel industry. So they can be mixed with cement, and they already are, but we think, and we've got uh, evidence to show they can be mixed with cement in much higher quantities, uh, up to about 80%. Eight zero. Eight zero percent. That's pretty significant. So that's pretty significant. So that's reducing the amount of lime you need um, in in the cement, and and therefore avoiding eighty percent of this this process. That mm. uh, uh, it's like a massive energy efficiency. You know, when you think of yes, efficiencies. That's right. That's um, right. So that, that that's one way we can improve. Um, Obviously, we can't rely on the. We don't want to rely on no. uh, coal, fly ash, coal fly ash from coal-fired power stations. Yeah, I was future. just thinking that it's kind of a yes. loose, isn't it? Well, yes. it's good yeah, to use that waste, but we want to get away from making that waste. Yes, and at the moment, um, when when fly ash is used, it is fresh fly ash that's come from coal that's only just been burnt. But we have hundreds of millions of tons mm. of fly ash in Australia that has previously been dumped in in dams and pits next to coal-fired right. power stations. And does uh, that still have the same viability for this process? It needs. It sometimes needs processing, which mm-hmm. is why it isn't used at the moment. But it is eminently usable, and there are examples of this ar- around the world. As I say, it might need a small amount of processing, but it should be seen as a huge... Um, free mineral resource, resource yeah. um, in Australia, and hundreds of millions of tons is is enough to make uh, cement in this country for for several decades. Mm-hmm. Um, so we think the this uh, inclusion of substitutes can increase uh, up to eighty percent. Another really interesting technology is uh, called geopolymer or alkali activated cements. They can include zero Portland cement, so no lime at all. And they, again, are made with um, fly ash and uh, slag from the steel industry. Uh, but they need an activator to sort of get the reaction going. They need some, some, some help. Often this activator is, a, is an alkali um, um, but there are but there are other types, and there are several companies in Australia who are already making these geopolymer cements, and there are examples in other countries as well. Okay, and uh, so they're kind of readily available if people go out looking for them. I mean, if, if say yeah. I say, oh, I'm building a house and I want this latest clean green cement I can get, so that's something I can access today. You can access that today. Okay. Um, certainly in Victoria you can access it where there's a company producing it, uh, similarly in Queensland, uh, but at the moment it's got a tiny market share. Right. And one of the reasons is, um, understandably, structural engineers um, mm. see using anything but the, the mm. cement they've always used as, as a risk to them. Yeah. And there aren't incentives uh, for them to try something different, which is geopolymer cement. But actually there's very good evidence that uh, geopolymer cements uh, uh, provide exactly the same performance as existing cement. Geopolymer cements aren't actually that new, okay. and um, buildings m- made with them were constructed um, in Belgium and the Soviet Union in the 1950s and 60s. Okay. Those buildings are still in use today and show no signs of wearing beyond what uh, a, a normal, concrete, a normal yep. concrete building uh, would wear. Um, and interestingly, geopolymer cements actually have share some traits in common with the cements uh, that the Romans were using. Mm-hmm. And, well, their cements have done pretty well because mm. you can still see some of their concrete years. buildings like the Colosseum, the Pantheon, mm. which are still standing today. Mm. Um, 
using uh, Roman cement. Yeah, right. And w- what are we looking at f- for cost differential? Yeah, that's quite interesting because uh, for both of them, they're both of these uh, methods of lower carbon or zero carbon cement already, even though they're niche industries, they're already roundabout cost competitive with okay. Portland cement. It really depends on what your application is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just want a bog standard application, they might be 10 to 15% more expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have particular requirements, um, uh, for example, Geopolymer cements actually perform better in some situations, so they're more resistant to acid, they're more fire resistant, they do better in marine environments. So if that is part of your uh, requirements, it's actually cost effective already to use geopolymer cements. But but that's not a big difference that you're talking about. No. I mean, 10 to 15%, uh, when we look at some other technologies, you know, sometimes the cost has been a lot more than that, but people have still chosen to, to go yeah. with it, you know, being those early adopters, let's say. Um, so so that's not a big hurdle to overcome, and, and presumably as production of these type of alternative cements come, become more available, that's, you'd think, uh, um, an economy of scale would bring that even, yeah. even lower. I totally agree. I think the fact that... Um, with geopolymers being a niche industry and comparing it to Portland cement, which has been made for 200 years and is a very mm-hmm. established industry, the economies of scale are already there. Considering it's so close in price already um, is, is incredible. And you're right, with with the development, development of the industry, the price will come down. And the reason it's cost effective is because, firstly, you're using waste materials. Mm. Um, you, you don't have to get virgin limestone and then process it. Um, so there's, there's a saving there in using a waste material. Secondly, um, uh, geopolymer uh, cements are made at room temperature or at a very slightly elevated temperature, 40 Mm. or 60 degrees. Which is Uh, really achievable with with what we were talking about before, the heat heat pump kind of technology. Yeah, that's right. It's not not expensive to get that level of heat, whereas Portland cement is Mm. made in a kiln at, at... at 1450 degrees C so the energy costs alone are huge mm. in making it's a huge cement. difference it's, it's a, a huge difference yeah. and and also the um, the infrastructure itself to make the two types of cement uh, a cement kiln will cost hundreds of millions mm-hmm. of dollars to set up um, a because of th- that intensity of containing that's right. that, those sort of Partly levels to do of with heat that. I mean cement plants if you've ever seen one are huge pieces of kit mm. um, geopolymer cements could be set up for a tenth of that price geopolymer cement plants that also means that they can be localized and distributed Mm. and one interesting opportunity is to set those plants up very near to the um Mm, the the need of the 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 cement well i was going to say the sites of the fly ash right okay um so when the coal-fired power stations close down Mm. there'll obviously unfortunately be redundancies so it's a great opportunity to set up a new business Mm. um using that coal that fly ash that's been produced over decades making geopolymer cement oh that sounds like a great solution yeah Really good. Oh, gosh, there's some people out listening in um, the Gippsland region. Maybe you should be talking to some of your local politicians and and um, industry leaders about that because that sounds like it's a you know hand in glove kind of solution. These communities that are um, 
you know, losing jobs that they've had for a long time around the coal industry, um, a perfectly place for, for developing this new cement resource. That's right. I, w- I will just say that, unfortunately, um, ash from brown coal oh, okay. is a little bit more difficult to use. <laughs> All right. So maybe that's not a good example. But in the, yes. the principle works. That's right. So, um, yeah, maybe just not that one. Look, we're getting very close to time, Michael. So I'll just um, let uh, let you know that um, if there's any last comments that you wanted to just round out with, that would be great. I think the only final one is on the the fourth section that we haven't really spoken about, which is using less of things. Mm. Uh, And I won't say too much about that, except that uh, we're going to be looking at concepts of a circular economy. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, we have an economy which is based on mining things, processing them, using them for a bit, and then they go to landfill. Mm -hmm. It's very much a linear economy. Everybody knows that's very wasteful. Um, We'll be looking at how we can have a circular economy where we reuse everything that gets thrown away and we don't need to mine so much in the first place. That makes a lot of sense. Well, it maybe does. we can we can have another conversation about that as um, as that work becomes uh, the main focus. So it's been really great to talk to you today about um, a topic that probably not a lot of people think about in terms of all the different emissions that happen from the various uh, sectors of the economy that actually make the things that we use every day and have in our lives and don't really give a lot of thought to. But there's some solutions that we can look at for that as well. So thanks very much, Michael, and um, we look forward to talking to you again. Thanks, Aaron. I've enjoyed it. Great.